Hello everyone, I am Mariah Parsons, I'm your host. If you are new to Learn to Listen, welcome, and if you are a regular listener, thank you. Learn to Listen is a mental health and wellness podcast designed to encourage vulnerability in storytelling and to empower through empathy. If you like the show, please, please, please go subscribe on your favorite listening platform. I also have built out our social media. Um, So we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, the whole, you know, every channel, omni-channel experience, wherever you like to find your content best, it's there for you. But first, I have a little preview of what is in store for this specific episode. Because the worst thing that typically happens is because someone, when they were in the seventh grade, told them that they were not going to be smart because they were athletes and to let them handle it, they sort of have been cowering behind asking questions, make you stupid And you should already understand things. So they won't ask questions and then like we'll make assumptions. And so I'm the person like, nope, that don't make no sense. Explain. And it takes a lot of the pressure off of uh, going to these meetings with people who they assume are smarter than them typically are not. And, um, you know, having those conversations, I, we did this, uh, I forget when this was probably like six or seven years ago. And it was like a, It was an exercise where you brung CEOs, C-suite executives with athletes, you switch books. So basically you get the athletes all got 10K reports on the companies and the C-suite guys all got um, playbooks. Nobody knows what's happening. Okay. Because (laughs) you're speaking different languages and, you know, but it was, it was them seeing that to understand that everything has its own language. Everything Mm -hmm. has a learning curve. You will not be the greatest person on your first day. You have to kind of give yourself grace to learn. In that clip, you will hear LaVon Idlet's voice. She is so cool, so awesome. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this whole entire episode. She is an Olympic track star, lawyer, and investment coach, as well as a previous contestant on The Amazing Race, but that doesn't even begin to cover how awesome she is. But for her proper intro, I will go over and into more details for that. So she did compete in the 2012 Summer Olympics, and she competed in the women's 100-meter hurdles, as well as attended Hampton University to compete in their heptathlon. Like I said, she also competed in The Amazing Race, and you should definitely go watch it. It's season 32 that was premiered in 2020. She now spends her time helping high achievers, such as professional athletes, lawyers, and doctors, invest in commercial real estate to educate on financial fitness and create passive income. So welcome to Learn to Listen. Today, we are joined by LaVon. Thank you so much for being here. I'm thrilled. We're so excited to come on the podcast today. I thought it'd be great if you would give our audience an intro and tell us all about your story. Hi, guys. I'm LaVon Idolette. I am um, an Olympian who is a 
lawyer by trade. I um I'm from Hampton, Virginia. I went to college in Hampton, Virginia, which is a hilariously terrible story. But um I moved to Miami about 15 years ago where I sort of officially grew up now. And so um I went to graduate school there while training and competing um, professionally for about 10 years in track and field. I ran the 100 meter hurdles. I went to the um, 2012 Olympics. And since then I have been building a practice that helps high achievers invest in commercial real estate um, to create passive income. And I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty passionate about sharing that with professional athletes specifically because you know we get counted out a lot as not being intellectual so um uh, my firm helps people create funds and other assets like debt and like notes and um yeah I've been in real estate for about 15 years by force yeah and, uh, <laughs> and um yeah I'm excited to be here and talk dive a little bit deeper most people know me because uh, I was on the show, The Amazing Race, uh, that aired season eight, 32, which was 2020. You were home in the pandemic. I hope you watch. If you didn't watch, you should go back and watch. It's a really good season. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's so much to dive into. And that's why I was so excited to have you um, here today. And you said all that so casually, too, which is so incredible. You're like, oh, yeah, just like Olympian lawyer, like reality TV star, too. I like so casual. I'm like, you're doing so many great things. Um, so, OK, so you you said, too, like you're like, oh, my my terrible story, like going to Hampton in Virginia. So I'm going to have to just start off there. Can you please explain more? <laughs> yes. So when I was in college, when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to go to college to play sports. I knew it was like the way to go for free. So, um, my high school coach and my college coach are actually married. So he used to come and he would like talk to me every day and tell me how great I was going to be. And what I realized now as an adult is he did the one thing that is really required for you to do business with me, which is you have to build rapport with me that's beyond the transaction. So he built that relationship with me so long that like I took all five of my visits to other schools. I hadn't applied to Hampton. Nothing's like down the street. Like I had never even considered it. Like, you know, when you are a pretty well recruited um, track and field athlete, you're thinking, oh, I want to go to Florida. I want to go to LSU. Um, and he whittled me down. And then he did the one thing that was like the nail in the coffin for me. And it was, he signed a girl who beat me at nationals. And I was like, Oh, you get good recruits. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's so funny. Yeah. Like going to school down the street. Um, I can only imagine. Cause I, I moved halfway across the country, like completely, <laughs> you know, completely polar opposites, but that's, that's so funny that you bring up like needing to build a rapport and you kind of learned in that moment that it was like, you need to have that rapport before you can have like a, you know, more professional or like beyond the transaction. I think that's what you said. That's so interesting that you learned that like before college. Yes. And I, that's more of a hindsight thing, but it definitely is exactly how I function in life. Like I do everything with people that I know, like, and trust already. Um, I can teach you skills. It's really hard for me to trust you. So <laughs> <laughs> We love that self-awareness. Um, so then 
Okay. So then you get recruited. You're a phenomenal athlete. Uh, you go to Hampton. So what is it like, like running track and fields? I know like the hurdle, the hundred, is it dash a hundred, hundred meter hurdles. Yeah. Hurdles. Okay. You can yeah. see how much of a track um, <laughs> connoisseur I am <laughs> seeing as I was in the rowing world. So completely different. Okay. So the, um, hundred meter hurdles, what was, what was that whole experience like? Yeah. So in college, I actually wasn't a hundred meter hurdle specialist. I was a heptathlete. So you do the, the hurdles, the high jump shot, put 200 long jump javelin, oh 800. I also did all of those events open, um, and all three jumps and the relays. So basically I was never sitting down throughout a track meet. I was super fit at the time. Obviously you can survive at 19 doing that many events. Mm-hmm. Um, But what I realized was because I didn't have a specialty in college, I was like pretty good at everything. I wasn't really great at anything. And so when I left college um, to, I moved to Miami to train and um, I then, like I developed really, really bad tendonitis. So I really couldn't jump as well um, at the time. And so I was asked, what do you think your best next event is besides jumping? Because I was probably more or less recruited as a jumper because I did the long triple and high jump really well in high school. Um, and then I said, ah, probably hurdles is the, the next best thing. And so I, I had this coach who was um, an Olympic silver medalist at the time named Tony Dees. And he cursed me out every single day and told me I was <laughs> terrible. And um yeah, I PR'd by almost a second within a few months. Uh-huh. And it was all to the races from them. And I went from being like, oh, you're pretty good to like, okay, you are an elite hurdler and you like can like compete, which was like a good, it was a good experience. Good feeling, right? Yeah. Because when you're used to do like the heptathlon is so much like a congenial sport um, in track because we all get along. We're just like, Oh, do you need some ice? Do you want a little bit of my snack on the waiting? And it's super not, it's not the most competitive, like the way the hundred meter hurdle. I mean, the way the hundred meter dash people behave, they're all like, I hate my competitors and I'm not talking to you when like they're super focused. And we're all like, Hey, that's my homegirl. She do the hip tap on too. And so (laughs) to go into a individual event, um, was definitely a transition for me mentally because I was never, I was sort of used to not winning. Like I am the most, I, I tell people all the time, my claim to fame is I, I have like the most third places that went to the Olympics ever. So like I, I, I wasn't used to winning. I wasn't even necessarily trying to win because you don't win the heptathlon by winning events you win the heptathlon by getting great scores in all the events so you can just focus on yourself and you're like oh yeah yeah you may have beat me in the high jump who cares like, I can throw farther than you in shot put and I can you know so it's a completely different mindset and yeah it was good yeah okay so it's like it's kind of a different mindset of where you're in the heptathlon like you're you have like multiple shots at it kind of like it's not just like one race like you're putting all your eggs in one basket um yeah, that's super interesting. And you said to like, you had kind of like your hands in a lot of different events, obviously. Do you find like, you kind of like that? Cause I'm, I'm kind of like that person where I like to have multiple things going on, just like in any area of my life, like work. I like to have multiple projects Yeah, socially. I like to have multiple groups of friends. Like I kind of like to have, you know, my pause and a little bit of like a little bit of different uh, buckets. 
that's actually what made me like so my focus now professionally is more or less partnering with really good operators of real estate transactions or businesses and bringing a little bit of expertise but it means that I don't never have the same problem over and over and over. And it's not like one business that has like this cog of repetition. It's more like, oh, this is interesting because this problem is so different than the other problem. And it keeps me engaged because otherwise I would be completely bored with most things. Because when I started, I was in bankruptcy court, which I thought was actually fine because it's rule-based law. It's great. I loved it. But it's completely, it's also not competitive either. Everybody's like, okay, so you're not getting anything. So now <laughs> here's your $2, here's your $2. Everybody, we can go home and like, let's yeah. go have drinks. Nobody's like adversarial at all. Um, so, you know, but the funny story about that is I went to college as a biology pre-med major and um, I was supposed to be a dermatologist, which I wanted to be since I was five years old. And somehow in that transition, part of it being that my dad thinks that he is the brain and I am pinky, therefore he gives me plan. <laughs> and uh, so he's a real estate developer and he was like, you know, you should study business. You, any, you can still be a doctor if you want, but you know, everything is a business. If you understand the foundation of business, you will enjoy your life better. And I was like, eh, you don't know what you're talking about. But I changed my major a few times, seven to be exact, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> to land in a finance degree. And when I was in the school of business, there was a professor who had an MBA JD and he's like, you should go to law school. And I was like, why? And he's like, because uh, you didn't need the curve. And I taught it like law school, which is Socratic method. And I curve everybody's grade. And he's like, so that means you think like a lawyer and you should go and you'll, you probably do really well. And apparently he was right because I loved law school. I thought it was great. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> That's such a cool way of thinking about it too. Like of that you didn't need the curve. And so Socratic method, like it just, it sticks with you and you're able to learn that way. And I mean, like those yeah. are the people, right. Who like touch your life and change it. You know, they put you on a different path and that's incredible. And it's so, so similar that you went into college studying. Um, you said pre-med bio, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I studied neuroscience all through, but I did not, yeah, I did not change my major. Um, <laughs> except I, I went in just like general pre-med and then I tailored it to neuroscience, but now I'm in marketing. So like, I was about to say, are you a neuroscientist? <laughs> On the <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I'm very much not. Um, I figured out I, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier of, I like to have my hands in a lot of different projects. And so I knew, um, neuroscience wasn't for me because you spend, you know, your whole life perfecting or like researching one thing. And so I very much figured out, I was like, oh, I need a little bit more creative, um, outlets than that route would provide me. But we're so similar in that, like, that's so funny that you went in, uh, studying uh biology and then you came out going to law school you know after college that's that's exactly why i'm i'm super active with kids and i'm always telling them like you do not have to know what you want to be when you grow up that is a fake story you should Cheers try a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah because most things and and the number one reason I say that is because I don't necessarily know that i wanted to be a doctor because i don't even like touching people and i never did um <laughs> But when you're really good at math and science, people push you towards being a doctor, being an engineer, or whatever the case may be. And 
And then they're like, you'll make so much money. And then that becomes your goal versus like, I actually don't want to touch anybody actually, yeah. you know? And luckily I real I, I had that person give that premonition. But the funny thing about it is when I got to law school, what I realized is everybody, you know, they stand up and they give their whole like, oh, you know, I was a political science major, blah, blah, blah. And I came to law school because I hate math. And then they all struggle because the law is nothing but word math. And the quicker that people really grasp that and stop trying to be like so fake deep, they would be like, this is awesome. Like this actually has answers as opposed to like these like really philosophical answers that don't have answers. Yeah, I've never heard like right when you said practicing law is like word math. I was like, yeah, I get that. I mean, I love like my, and this is also, I'm no one like, I don't have anyone in my close life who's a lawyer. So like, this is all coming from crime shows I watch. Um, But like, and I know there's obviously that's romanticized in the media, but it makes a ton of sense of like, oh, you have like input A and B and like, this is what you'll get is the C. Um, Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Oh my gosh. Maybe you're going to convince me to go to law school. Who knows? <laughs> you were probably, I'm telling you, science people really like the law school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. I'll look into that. <laughs> um, but so, okay. So you had mentioned too, I want to backtrack just a little bit about like when you switched events and you started focusing on um, the hundred meter hurdle that you had to like switch your mentality. How did you like yes. go about doing that? Like switching your mindset? Cause I feel like this is something I tap into with athletes a lot is like, the control that you have to have over your mind. Like you really got to, um, have a strong, like mental relationship with yourself. So how did you kind of make that switch? So I think a lot of that comes down to like environment. So my transition, I actually trained a little bit by myself. So my first year I trained by myself, which was a good transitional time. So I'm really focusing on making myself better. And then I got into a group that group didn't have any hurdlers. So I was focused on like becoming a better sprinter. Then I moved to a group that had five really elite hurdlers, people who had medals who were all in the top 10. And I had somebody say to me that I needed to stop running in the pack and ranking and filing myself, which is something that you do when you are not super competitive. You're just like, as long as I don't get last, I'm, I'm in the mix, you know, yeah. I look terrible. Um, and they were like, you are good enough to compete to win. You need to do that every day, though. And so that little spark made me every single day come to practice with the mindset that like, I wanted to win the rep or I wanted to be ahead in the workout or I wanted to add more weight than everybody else in the weight room. Little, every single thing is sort of like a little deposit in a bank. And then like at the end of the season, you have that, like you reach your goal because you put enough money in it. Um, Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so I looked at it from a pragmatic standpoint, because I, I am super more of a nerd than I am an athlete. I just happen to be faster than other people. So you have to explain things to me in a very like, okay, so if you push off the blocks with this much power, you should hit this step, this step, this step, this step, and you should be at the hurdle in the right time. Like you don't actually have to think about it, but this all should work out because science makes sense. And yeah. um, a lot of times I would get into it with my coach because my coach sort of had this like, 
he was so used to dealing with what I call brute dummies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that He's just like, I'm going to throw it and you run and you hit him. And it's like, no, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. You're going to have to tell me what I'm going (laughs) to, what I have to think about on the way. And, um, so the becoming competitive was more about me, which was if you focused on individual aspects of making yourself better, you will compete better. And it never had anything to do with anybody else because at the end of the day, track is really an individual sport and everybody can be great because you're going to be in your own lane and no one is going to like, I mean, sometimes people touch you and that's crazy, but in general, (laughs) you will like everybody can be great. Everybody can still have a great race and you wouldn't even know. Mm -hmm. You're not really competing against them. You're competing for the time. And if you run fast enough, you'll beat them. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes. So who, who was it that like kind of gave you that advice that like, you're good enough to compete, but you have to be competing every day. Was that a coach? No, it was. So I had this like amazing group. And so one is Kelly Wells. She and I did the amazing race together. She and I went to college together and we trained for the Olympics together. So one is her. And so she, every day is just telling me like, you're going to be fine. Just ride the course. Right? And then, <laughs> yes. And then, um, the other person, um, was three or four different sprinters that trained with me. And they like, so we come, we train together, but we don't really train together. I don't run the hundred. And, <laughs> um, they would just say like, you know, you're strong. You need to do this. You need to do that. Like anything you can win, you should be winning. Like don't give up. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was a, a very, a powerful group because that was when I truly learned that like iron sharpens iron and it makes you so much better. Like you don't want to necessarily people typically gravitate towards a place where they can be like a big fish in a small pond, as opposed to like, no, you're going to have to go out here. Everybody is the same size fish and you're going to have to compete with them. Um, And the only way to be better is to help each other be better because, um, if you let them lack, you'll start lacking. So mm-hmm. now every day you're like, oh no, fix your arm, fix this, fix that. And it's not, you. there's no like hater in it. It's more like, I want you to be better because that's gonna force me to be even better um, to continue to compete. Otherwise we'll just sit here all in stagnation. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like I, I think you're comp- you nailed it right on the head of like, most people I feel like do want to be, especially in athletics, like the big fish in the big pond, they want to be the one who is like the shining star. Right. And so it's so cool that you had a group where it was that mentality of like you, there's enough light for everybody. Like you could pull other people up and that actually helps you rather than, you know, like you don't want to surround yourself by people who are, um, not going to do, you know, the same for you. And like Brene Brown has this reference of like, she tells her daughters, you need to like, hold on to your light. And if you have like candle blower outers, I think that's the term she uses, but like someone who take, like sees that you're glowing and you're shining and tries to put out that light, then like, they're not your true friends. And so it sounds like this group that you had, um, of Kelly and the other like hundred meter runners that they were just able to like bring you up so much. And that's so powerful. Cause like, to me, I'm always, I'm the one, like a a relationship or a teammate, like a close bond will motivate me to like push myself farther. And it sounds like you also had that as well. 
That is such a big, oh my gosh. So I never liked working out. So, oh my God, same. <laughs> I like to compete. I don't like to work out. So same. besides like lifting weights. So we would go and we would run these workouts. And so my coach had the one type of workout that would make a person like me really try, which is if I don't make the time that everybody has to run again. And I don't want nobody to have to be punished because of me. So it made me be better faster because i'm just like there go they go me i know <laughs> you know <laughs> like you're not gonna yeah you're not gonna do an extra workout because of me like i'll be damned <laughs> yeah. yeah and so like all of that had such a profound impact on me and as a matter of fact one of the things you just said is a part of what made me start working with athletes specifically when i um i was actually still competing um, so from about 2012, I, I started working with the first like NBA guys and, um, a lot of it was they, they're completely used to being the biggest fish in their pond. They're the richest person they know. Everybody needs me. Everybody wants me, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's going <laughs> to use me. And I'm just like, okay. So I intentionally started taking them to conferences and to spaces where they were not even close to being the richest person. And (laughs) the people were not sports fans, which was even better because it was the first time and you could see it click in their head. And and it's almost an ego grab because it's sort of like, what do you mean you don't know who I am? Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) excuse me. (laughs) And and what do you mean you don't care about that? It's like, like, what do you mean you don't watch? Like, it's so confusing to them because everything in their world has been around them. Like, I am the center of the universe and my sport is the center of the universe. And if you don't know, then you are like, (laughs) Um, but for them to see and meet people who were just business people who were relaxed and themselves and not trying to please nobody. Like I, my outfit doesn't match. Don't care. Not going to do it. Um, if you want to hang out with me, you're going to have to pay your own way. Literally the thoughts that, um, I see a lot of young athletes deal with, which is just like a million leeches and all that kind of stuff. And they're just completely like, I wish I could be as free as that guy. Like that guy's shoes don't match. He doesn't care. Yeah. You know, there were no extra people at the meeting um, <laughs> that added no value. And so just those sorts of uh, epiphanies were like the building blocks of what I do now with them, which is more or less helping them find partnerships with people who are doing really well, who don't necessarily need their money, um, but would love to have their participation. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I, I want to dive into this more like, so, and I loved that you said, like when you put a big fish in an even bigger pond, like it really shifts their perspective. (laughs) And like, I love that you kind of mentioned, it's like kind of like an Evo ego grab that you like start off with on that foot. And you're like, okay, this is how you start to transition away from sport. Like I imagine a lot of the pro athletes that you're working with, like they're getting to that point where they're now exiting their athletic career and they're now turning to other parts of the world. And they're like, Oh, all I've known has been athletics. Right. So then it's like seeing these, this other side of like business and people with 
like mismatching shoes, their outfits. They're like, this is so foreign to me. So I'm sure they love to have someone who like you, who's guiding them through that process and being like, no, 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 like you're going to have to change how things work around some work around here. But, um, but yeah, so like walk me through, I can already see kind of like why you started just being like relationship first and, um, wanting to help athletes make that transition. But how did you like kind of go about, um, like finding people to work with like clients. And I know, um, like turning those people that you knew into what you now do today. Yeah. So basically it started off as like, these are just my friends and they're being invited to these, uh, we'll call them deal of a lifetime meetings. Like, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, it's not how deal of a lifetime work, but I'm going to let you cook. So okay. I would go, they would say, come on, can you come with me to a VC meeting or someone wants an investment of some sort, or it could be somebody in their family saying, invest in this with me and we're going to make so much money. It's going to be great. And um, I would base, basically the entire business model was around saying no. I would show mm-hmm. up and I would listen and I would translate and then I would give my rationale because more objective, like I'm actually not saying no, I'm going to tell you why you're going to say no. Um, because none of this stuff maths out. It doesn't make any sense. But um, I had a bunch, a series of things happen in my life that sort of brung this like client base, if that makes sense. So when I first got to South Florida, I coached at a school called St. Thomas Aquinas. Nine of my kids went to the NFL. Then um, after that, I, I was dating a guy who played basketball and helping him with some stuff. And when you help any athlete, like athletes listen to each other more. Hell yeah, they do. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, you guys are sitting in the locker room, all telling lies about things you do not do. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) tell like it is. (laughs) And, um, yes, I can help you. But that transition made me realize that like, everything sounds good. Everybody wants to do all things. They all have all FOMO because they've listened and LeBron James is doing a million things. And, you know, this person is investing in this and like, so they're like, I need deals. I need to be doing more, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go broke. And I'm like, you'll go broke faster investing in things you don't understand Uh, than, um, than riding the wave. But also at the end of the day, I think that you should get your feet wet because you cannot learn to swim by reading books. So I want you to be, so I started getting them involved in things, but with no risk, which is like, instead of asking for more cash, we're going to ask for equity for, to do X, Y, Z sort of, sort of deal. Um, So now you can get the swimming, swim on the go, no risk. You're learning Um, And then you can, we can discuss different terms and stuff like that, because the worst thing that typically happens is because someone, when they were in the seventh grade, told them that they were not going to be smart because they were athletes and to let them handle it, they sort of have been cowering behind asking questions, make you stupid and you should already understand things. So they won't ask questions and then like we'll make assumptions. And so I'm the person like, no, that don't make no sense. Explain. 
And it takes a lot of the pressure off of uh, going to these meetings with people who they assume are smarter than them, typically are not. And, um, you know, having those conversations, I, we did this, uh, I forget when this was, probably like six or seven years ago. And it was like a, it was an exercise where you brung CEOs, C-suite executives with athletes and you switch books. So basically you get, the athletes all got 10K reports on the companies and the C-suite guys all got um, playbooks. Nobody wow. knows what's happening, okay? Because <laughs> yeah. you're speaking different languages and, you know, but it was it was them seeing that to understand that everything has its own language. Mm-hmm. Everything has a learning curve. You will not be the greatest person on your first day. You have to kind of give yourself grace to learn. Um, I happened to be forced into real estate. So I knew more going into college and stuff than most people. But at the end of the day, I took my lumps like everybody else. You know, I've definitely lost money, invested with crazy people who, you know, could probably still get beat up if I saw them anywhere. Uh, (laughs) You know, um, but I also, because I've always been around sort of like, the intellectual athlete types I've never really taken myself that serious like you know I allow myself to be wrong look Mm -hmm. things up all of that kind of stuff and it's a it's a growing process yeah well that's a blessing that you can allow yourself to be wrong you know like I think that's one of the things that at least it sounds like that with the clients that you work with, you can get so caught up in that image. Like you were saying of like, I don't want to be the one in the room who doesn't know what's going on. So instead you'll just like fall to ignorance, but that can really hurt you in the long run. Obviously, if you're like, if you don't know about what you're doing about investing in, um, like in the business world. And so I love that you, like you have that, uh, like practice or program and that you're that person in the room who's kind of like taking off that pressure of being like, I don't care. Like I'll ask the questions. Yeah. Like I don't care if I sound dumb or like if they think I'm stupid, whatever, like you're actually being the smart one for being proactive about it. And thus asking the questions that like need to be asked or like, so you understand what you're getting yourself into. And I wanted to ask like, cause you've brought it up twice now. And I I've seen this like in either myself, like my own worries or athletes that I met in college in that, like the perception that you, if you're in athletics, you can't also be intelligent or that you're like lesser. So, and I saw this a lot with athletics. Like I was always nervous. Um, if someone like from high school would be like, Oh my God, you got into Notre Dame. Like you're only going there because of your like athletics, like your scholarship. And I was like, okay, no, like, I actually think I'm pretty intelligent, but like, you're always worried about it. Right. Like, like you're worried that there's the, um, like the athlete privilege of someone saying like, you only got into this college because of that. You're only like, you're a professional athlete. You can't understand like the business side of things. So, so I love that you're one proving that, um, stereotype wrong, but then also helping other athletes to like reverse that, um, that like mental or like that self-awareness, that self-perception of like, no, you can be the smartest in the room. Like you're one of the top players in your sport. So like you're the smartest in that area, but Mm -hmm. it's going to take some, like you have to have training wheels and you have to obviously take time to gather that like intelligence for the new area, like investments that you're looking into. Right. 
Exactly. It, it's literally like, I remember being undergrad having a teacher be like, oh, I'm so surprised you're turning all your homework. Like, kind of stupid comment is that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> or did you answer the question and you really knew what was happening? And I'm like, I mean, I, I have no expectations for your expectations. However, I <laughs> intend to be smarter. I don't want to just come here and pass time. It makes no sense. Yeah. So yeah it, it's such a uh, it, it's a terrible disservice to allow grown people to believe that you know they are not smart enough to make their own decisions um especially over time it's sort of like you will start off as a novice and somebody most people are not teaching you things because they're trying to keep a control over you to a point, but that's again, not iron is sharpening iron. That's low level, low self-esteem stuff where like, I've definitely had, and I'm not going to say a lot of agents dislike me, but there are a few because the more information that I give, the more they're like, they become fearful that the player won't need them. And I'm like, you have a job, a very specific job. Maybe you don't know what the job is, but it's not what I do. And it's not what I'm teaching them to do. You negotiate contracts, do that. I, it's No one is threatening your job. You feel threatened. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's all about like p- power, right? Like the more, yeah. and it's, it's such a shame because I think it happens a lot in the athletic community is like who holds the power, like whether or not it's like competitor versus competitor, like competing athletes or like the relationships with like coaches and players or agents and players. Like, yeah, they're like, it equates to the more knowledge you have, the less power you have over someone, which is like such a messed up way of thinking and like operating because it in an ideal world, like the agents that you spoke to, if like they should be confident enough that they're providing enough value that they wouldn't go anywhere if their player is learning more about investments through you. You know, like they shouldn't be as worried. It's because most people, and and this is a terrible, it's terrible. Most people don't actually know what agents do. So not, and agents tend to be like the center of an athlete's universe. So if you need something, you call me. Mm -hmm. And if you start calling other people besides me, I feel away. Um, And I'm like, why would you want to be called for things that you don't do? That is ridiculous. But hey, whatever. I I try to make people as comfortable as possible because I'm really not competing with anybody. I'm like, you know, I didn't even start having athletes invest with me or doing things with me in a partnership for years because I was always like, I don't even want to be confused that my purpose of being here is to get money from you guys. It's more or less to educate you to do your own thing. And I, I remember what I was thinking earlier when I said, you gotta, you, you have to listen, but then you have to guide because everybody wants the, the shiny thing. So when I first got into this, every, they're like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to start a Chick-fil-A. I want a trucking company. I want to buy this. I want to do this, whatever. And can you help me do that? And so I would put together the people, the team, the plan, make it work. Everything is fun while it's Instagrammable. And then it becomes a business. It becomes work. It becomes a thing. And then they realize it's not what they want to do, which, so now I'm like, 
Okay. We don't get, we don't become high achievers at a thing to get a new job. Like that's not a thing. We don't want to do that. <clears throat> Maybe four out of a hundred will want to actually be an active investor who starts a new business that they have to be involved in. Everybody else just wants to make sure that they are creating enough revenue or enough capital that they can sustain the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so I stopped listening to them. Like, no, you don't <laughs> want to do that. There'll be no restaurants. There'll be no car washes. There'll be no barbershops. None mm-hmm. of it. You don't want to do that. Um, and But I'm not saying no specifically. It's just more like, Let's work. Let's go. Let's look at the numbers and the time. And then I'm going to let you realize you don't want to do this Mm -hmm. Um, because most things don't give the returns that people make it seem like on the Internet. So that becomes the me leading them down a path for them to discover what they actually want to get into, whether that is investing in venture. There are a lot of really, really good people now involved in like helping athletes learn about venture but as of probably three years ago I stopped saying I help athletes I say I help high achievers because what I realized is it's not an athlete problem it is a specialized knowledge problem so I have a whole bunch of clients who are doctors who if not for having conversations with me would say, um, I have a financial advisor. The financial advisor is doing something. I'm making some returns and I'm hoping for the best. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, um, let's look at the quarterly statements. And he's like, you paid a 2% fee and you lost 10%. You could do that by yourself. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm sure they love hearing that. (laughs) Yeah, you're a high achieving clientele. Yeah. And, that, and that's such a not like a a lot of financial advisors think I don't like them, but I'm like, it's not that. I am a person who holds you accountable. I think that everything has buckets. All your money shouldn't be in real estate. All your money shouldn't be in Bitcoin. All your money shouldn't be in anything. Mm-mm. There are buckets. And so when we talk about an allocation for something that creates cash flow that has um that can help you sustain your lifestyle and also give you some deductibility, which is why I'm very into real estate. But other than that, you know, there should be diversification and you probably shouldn't do it all, but you should know what's happening because at the end of the day, no one cares about you more than you care about you. And they're going to get their fees regardless. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's so interesting. And thank you. Thank you for like sharing all of that. Like I am not a investments <laughs> connoisseur, or, you know, very knowledgeable about it, but like, what would you, so like taking all of that advice of like what you've seen through like working with multiple clients, are there typical like trends that you like see across, like no matter what industry the um, client is in and like, how, how do you think like those trends, like how would you advise um, like other people to go about like changing um, their like knowledge or perception about investing? Um, The general trend, I guess I would say is the people who listen to me most have been burnt at least once. Mm. Um, and they typically have pretty much given up, if that makes sense. So they have like 
way too much money in a checking account or a savings account. And then they're just like, everybody's trying to get over on me. I don't trust anything or anybody. And excuse me, I would rather just take my one point, my zero, zero, two percent that the bank gives me. And at least I'll have peace of mind. <clears throat> Obviously, we know that inflation sucks. And, yeah. you know, that's not a winning formula over time, especially because you're also spending money. So that means that the balance is just getting smaller and smaller. Um, and so I am a person who just believes in meeting people where they are and what they want to do. And then having conversations around that and building backwards. So, and for the most part, so it's much easier for me to work with athletes on this because I help them use their influence to get into um, investments with no money. Hmm. Um, so, you know, your hometown, there's always a booster or somebody who's doing something and you're like, all right, we're going to meet them. And they're usually like, it's a stranger. And I'm like, they know who you are. It's okay. We're going to go. And yeah. the same with the college town, the same with a team where they played you can get a little bit of favor in those markets and it's a it's a good way to get them in when it comes to other investors which is i would say more of my sweet spot now because i have access to all kinds of operators i spend time building relationships with great operators so that you know when they're raising money they typically don't need any money you want your money to go with the people who don't need any money um and give them access without having to like be overly exposed so the types of people who are really really good operators they'll have like a million dollar minimum to invest with them or something crazy and so i then will aggregate for them the doctors and lawyers and young engineers and all that crypto babies and e-com <laughs> kids everybody <laughs> you know <laughs> um $10,000, $20,000 allocation, something that's more bite-sized for them to get in and learn. But we bring them the million-dollar check, and then they are able to participate, get the returns, learn on the go without the risk exposure, and then say, okay, wow, okay, I would general the general public will never have access to any of these investments because they're meant to be exclusively for the one percent one percent and um so that's the the sweet spot of what we offer now yeah yeah no that's that's super powerful and this kind of like popped into mind when you were um just like talking and it just like your your confidence and like just the knowledge, like the skill set that you offer, like it's very apparent to me. And so what popped in my mind, just like a love, a lover of psychology is like, have you ever gotten like pushback for being so like knowledgeable or confident in the space? Like I imagine you're dealing with a lot of like high professional, like clientele, like who maybe I'm hoping wouldn't like ever disrespect you, but um, and if you're not comfortable to share, please don't, but it just popped into my mind. So I have to um, ask it. So I actually haven't, which is, you know, amazing. I, I get asked because I do a lot of like panels, especially about women in business and minorities mm -hmm. in business and blah, 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 blah. And people ask me that kind of stuff all the time. And I'm like, maybe it's just my personality that like, 
I don't really get so and this this goes for my entire family as well I really don't give people like a lot of rope to do too much towards Mm. me like I'm not really asking for that much advice I'm really not like if we're having dialogue and you want to give your two cents that's fine but like the whole you're too strong and you're too this and you're too that conversation we're not having it so yeah Yeah, you'll just like cut it off yeah because I don't give it I don't allow anybody to bring that kind of energy to my space I've never had any real pushback I I definitely fire clients for being rude I fire clients for being rude to other people so um awesome you know that a part of um and and I and I take that from sports as well Mm -hmm. it's like a, a part of just like knowing who you are is knowing who you aren't and what you're not going to deal with and um so I definitely know that there are some people who I probably rub the wrong way because I'm just not a ring kisser so we can either do business or we don't have to there's like a million other people in the world yeah and you can skip me and in those opinions and it used to be hilarious to me because I do meet a lot of uh um guys and they'll say things like um wow I I've never dated an equal or I've never um, like it would be so hard to date you, blah blah blah. And I'm like, I don't know who the heck invited you to date me because I didn't. Yeah. And like you can keep these opinions. Like I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Well, I can only imagine. I mean, like, but if I, if and when I I would ever get that, I would just be like, okay, cool. Like I'm moving on. Right. Like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, um, and the worst thing is, and, and the the best thing that you can ever have is the confidence of a middle-aged man so <laughs> people people say like that's how you act already and so like because yeah I'm just like you guys volunteer what you like and all of that no one cares mm-hmm. no one cares and um and in the fact that like you feel like that opinion should hold weight with someone else's behavior is crazy to me so yeah. I, I'm usually like, congratulations. I, mm-hmm. Who told you that we were equal just because you're a man with a job? It's very yeah. weird. Yeah, no, that's, that's, you're a great role model. I mean, for though, like for women though, seriously, like I, I think if you can just have that mentality of like, it's not even a question, like we're not even having this discussion um, of that, like we are equals, but I don't need, like, I don't need your approval that we're equals. I think that's what it comes down to. And that's like so incredibly powerful and healthy, just like having that self-perception and awareness of like, I know who I am. I'm confident in who I am. I don't need you to like verify that or like approve of my personality, you know? Yeah. My parents like me. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, Oh, And, and so now like I'm pregnant and I'm walking around and people are like, Oh, are you okay? And I'm like, okay. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats on being pregnant too. That's, that's incredible. Oh my gosh. You're glowing. Um, I do well, like a funny transition, but, um, I do want to talk to you too about being on the amazing race. Cause we haven't even touched upon that, but like the, 
inside perspective that you have. I just, I'm so curious about like one, were you a fan of the show? Like growing up, like what really motivated you to go on the show? No, I had never even seen the show. Oh, that's even better. (laughs) The funniest things happen in your life. Like, so I have always been a like, if an opportunity presents itself, say yes and figure it out, you know, Mark Cuban style. So cool. Mm -hmm. Um, at the time, 2017, I was a partner in a PR firm with my cousin, who is a publicist. And we had a bunch of contracts and stuff with Viacom and some other um, shows where we have reality TV stars as clients. Mm. Hated the business. Terrible, terrible people. <laughs> okay, they're not terrible people, but they are the least humble group ever okay. like, <laughs> you're like i can imagine you're on tv for no reason whatsoever and you are not relaxing in any way um yeah. <laughs> didn't like it but in that time frame so my picture is on this well in the roster of people i'm in there because at the time i'm still competing and you know track and field is very much a sponsor-based sport so you want to always have your name out or whatever so that you can get more sponsors, so you won't be poor, spending mm-hmm. all that money on coaches and massages and whatnot. Yeah. And so uh, we got a call from CBS about being on Survivor. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I am not a survivor. I don't be outside. <laughs> <laughs> I just work out. I come in the house. I am a nerd. I don't know how to make no fire. I don't know how to do anything. So I'm just like, it's going to be a hard no for me on Survivor. <laughs> I'm not a survivor. Me and Beyonce. And so um, then they're like, oh, we also produce a show called The Amazing Race. Would you be interested? And I'm like, oh, I've heard of it. Um, sure. I, I would be interested in doing that. So we sort of get fast tracked through the, the, the scenario. They asked me who I wanted to do it with. I had a boyfriend at the time and they were like, nope, he sounds boring. And <laughs> um, and so I'm like, oh, well, I have a teammate. Like she and I, we were high school rivals. We were college teammates. We trained for the Olympics together. I lived in her house because um, her, her husband plays football and she had postpartum depression during camp. So I'm mm-hmm. like, it's good. And, and they love it because apparently... The Amazing Race is a relationship show. Who knew? I didn't know that. Wow. Um, okay. It's about how people deal with pressure in relationships. Mm. And so we literally have the same personality expressed differently. So I am very, very laid back. Like it takes so much for you to like raise my temperature and make me act a different way. I'm not going to raise my voice ever. I literally always talk like this, no matter what's going on. And she is like, oh my gosh, we're going to do, what are we going to do? Oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, same scenarios, but it helps her. It helps her process. I process better by being relaxed. Um, and so while we're going through the, the application process, they're, they're loving this. And uh, the funniest thing about it is we, we go to CBS and um, this is like finals. They have a bunch of different, you know, groups there. And uh, they kept saying, you guys need to touch each other more. 
And I'm like, I've known her for 20 years and I've touched her more in this room than <laughs> my whole life. I'm all set. I do yeah. not touch her. We're going back to this. I'm not a toucher. COVID was the best thing to happen to me because I didn't have to touch people anymore. Culturally, I'm supposed to walk in the room and kiss people on the cheek and hug and da da da. Yeah. Nope, way from the door. I hope everybody's having a great day. <laughs> You're like, we're the friends that hug like once in 20 years. Like, exactly. That's <laughs> and um, so when it's all said and done, I, I mean, I asked her initially, like, would you do it? No, I asked her would her husband let her do it and she's like I'm doing it and yeah. so we leave her baby who was only three years old at the time yeah and um we go off and run around the world which was a great time for us because before that I had lived at her house um and I hadn't really seen it so we now had this like time where we have no communication with the outside world and we just spend time together having a great time yeah. running around and um it was really hard hardest thing I've ever done but I think it was much harder because I had retired already and I hadn't um really worked out like you know I was I was working out but it wasn't like with a purpose so mm-hmm. I was in super great shape and so every single thing we did which required fast running takes you <laughs> out especially because even though I'm pretty fast pretty strong I've never ran with a big backpack on. Why would I do that? Yeah. So. <laughs> You're like, I'm in track. Come on. And I, it's a I, 20 pound backpack because oh. I'm an over preparer. I have like jumbo sunflower seeds and like <laughs> a, a light for my head just in case we're someplace in the dark. Like all these things that, you know, I watch YouTube because once we got casted, it was months before we actually left. I started watching the show, watching YouTube. What should I pack? All that fold my clothes, put it in this humongous sack thing that yeah. has a bladder for you to drink water. I'm, I'm really turning into like a hiker at this point. And <laughs> um, yeah, it was really hard, really, really hard. Um, and so since then, we like we were voted a fan favorite. Like we got out early because we got cheated. And then um, with the bad taxi and then you know, we got invited back, um, asking if we would want to do like an all-star and I'm just like, absolutely not. <laughs> I love that. You're so casual. You're like, I'm turning down the amazing race. Like <laughs> it was great one time, but like, I do not need to do it again. Um, what like made it No. The- <laughs> Have you ever been with 50 people having babies? No, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be crazy. Um, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, so like, I know like the physicality of it, obviously, like you just said, running around with a 20 pound backpack. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. Um, but like what, what like also made it like the hardest thing that you've ever had to do? Like, was it like just the mentality of it, of like, you know, it's just you and your friend, I believe her name is Kelly, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah, like just you and Kelly, like you two alone versus like all um, these other like external factors. It's partially the physical part, but it's also the mental part. We're running around, no bath. It's, it's like three or four days, no bath, no hotel. We slept in a cave. We slept in an airport. It's freaking freezing. We're flying between places. Everybody stinks. Um, <laughs> there is no real food um happening it's sort of like you know you got snacks you got snacks in your bag we'll stop we'll eat something and so just 
and this is also a terrible part about like we have lived a bougie life Mm. I fly business class and eat meals on flights and go straight to hotels and eat again. Like (laughs) my entire way of like, I've been all around the world at this point for track, but the experience is very luxurious. It's not like, are we in a cave? Is that a cave dog? And the people were playing with the cave dog. I'm just like, this is disgusting. So yeah. So you just, over it like I'm tired I would love to take a bath like down you know have a nice meal yeah, yeah. okay so it's like that mental toughness of like yeah. oh my god my whole world is like so different from yes. this current reality of like you're like how yeah like how do we, we get back in LA when we flew to Trinidad which is really far by the way so it's like nine hour flight Mm-hmm. then when you get there just get off the plane and they have you running down the street pushing the heaviest barrel of oil ever in the middle of the street with regular cards who are not a part of the show <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the next day like so then that happens at night you get your plane ticket we fly to Tobago in Tobago we gotta run out of the airport and they have us on this boat and the boat is trying to get to an area and the guy so these people don't work for the show they're just captains of boats and we're like get us there as fast as possible when i tell you the boat is jumping like this boom boom boom. mind you i learned to swim for the show i did not know how to swim before that so boats jumping i'm laying down flat praying that we don't get thrown (laughs) out of this boat because we're in open water in Tobago, I would. Yeah, what would you even do? I would just. What would you even I, do? <laughs> yeah. You're just like actually trying to survive. Like you're like oh ripping the rails. Yeah. I'm just like, this is so stressful and mm-hmm. dangerous in real life. Like, because yeah. in, in my mind, I'm like, you know, reality show, they're going to, these are going to be people who work for the show. They're not going to let you get hurt. These people don't know these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're just a captain on the boat. Like they're, they're, they're just they're sitting like there and this Tuesday. is what they do in the afternoon. They ride out people to go fishing on a fast boat. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying to survive. <laughs> I just want to survive. My parents yeah. expect me to be back home, you know? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. But overall, I would say the best part about the show for me was that we got to meet 10 other groups of people who we would have never met. I Well, Kelly already knew D'Angelo and Gary um, because her husband's twin played on the team with D'Angelo. But other than that, we would have never met any of those people in our lives. And they are some of our closest friends now. We've been in there. She officiated um, Will and James' wedding. that's so cute oh my gosh yes we've all been on trips together since then because we had to keep the secret for two years so that already was like our bonding point because Mm -hmm. there was nobody else we could talk to about it for two years before it aired okay we literally became like fast friends with these people from all walks of life yeah so so you like it sounds like you still like keep in touch with these people obviously um 
like your close knit friend group. Yes. You still have, cause you had that before the show, but that's, that's so incredible. I mean, like also props to you for like just taking an opportunity and be like, hell yeah, let's give it a shot. I mean, you definitely <laughs> learned, like you said, when they invited you back on, you're like, no, I tried it. And I know I did not <laughs> want to do it again. Yeah. I actually like, I don't know. I don't aspire to be a famous person though. So like the whole just being on TV over and over, cause that, that's a thing now you can just go from mm. show to show to show sort of like when I was a kid, that show was real world. And I actually tried out to be on that show. But what I realized I made it to the finals. And what I realized is I am not eccentric enough to be on a show. That's only about personality. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, I just relax. I don't raise my voice. I'm, you know, whatever. Yeah. You're and, not like, dramatic. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they're looking for someone that's going to give them the some reality drama, TV show. That know? <laughs> and I'm yes. like, yes, if someone talks to me like that, I'm going to close my door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, mm, you're not getting anything out of me. <laughs> nothing. nothing juicy. You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> Oh no, because gosh. I don't believe in arguing with strangers. Like for what? Yeah, yeah, it's a waste of waste of effort, right? Time and effort, yes. <laughs> and energy too. Um, well, this has been so so phenomenal. Um, I am so thrilled. You're just like so cool, so awesome. So I'm so glad that I've gotten to speak with you. Um, we've had like such a wonderful conversation. I just looked at the time and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so I have like one final question for you, and then. Um, I promise I'll stop, um, just wanting to hear everything about you, but so like, what would you say, like wrapping it up with learn to listen all about like mental health, you know, self-awareness, self-perception and trying to make your mindset like the strongest, the best it can be. And so in your own words, how do you think like being like financially knowledgeable and stable and, um, like confident in that area of your life really helps your mindset and like mental health and mental fortitude like how do you think that um helps propel like your clients and yourself into that like next stage of their life um okay so in general i would say that financial fitness or like that freedom of knowing that you have your ducks in a row blah 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 Mm -hmm. takes that worry away which allows you to um sort of focus more on who you really want to be for the world Mm. um, and for yourself. So I think that the stronger you are financially and that number looks different for everybody, depending on like what kind of life you really want to have. But like it, it definitely has the ability to let you relax enough to figure out exactly how you want to spend your time. Mm -hmm. Um, most people spend their time where they have to because they have to pay their bills. And, um, but once you can get a little ahead of that, then you'll have that like cushion, which I call peace of mind, which is like, you Mm -hmm. know, that peace of mind changes everything about your life and your lifestyle, because then you can say, all right, okay, so I really like babies. I want to hug babies every day. And that's how I want to spend most of my time as opposed to like, you could love babies all you want, but if you have to work all day and you have to 
do all of these other things just to stay afloat, especially in the world right now where like rent's ridiculous, everything costs too many dollars, dinner mm-hmm. is the most expensive it's ever been in your life. You begin to have these like, everything is pressure and it adds and it adds and it adds and it adds. And that all takes a toll on your mental health because you never have a chance to like just be present. And for me, being present is more important than anything. Like one of the biggest reasons why I never necessarily wanted to be famous was because I literally just like living in my present moment with the people I already like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have to share it with anybody extra unless I decide to. Um, having knowing like the people that I work with tend to be really famous and the stress that it takes to not get the scrutiny of the media or whomever because you didn't want someone to touch you while you was eating your dinner or to have to sign every autograph while you walked into a hotel is freeing Mm -hmm. so as much as people want to be reality stars and Instagram gurus and all that, just realize that everything you ask for comes with something else. Mm-hmm. It may not be something that you want. So financial freedom helps you decide what you want your life to be like every day and you get to choose. So I think yeah. it's important um, to spend a little bit of time, especially your young life when you don't have any real responsibilities, you can you know, hustle Mm -hmm. around a little bit, uh, to get that together. And then you'll, you'll enjoy like my, my young life has been great. Um, Mm -hmm. this is why I am just now having my first baby. I'm 36 and people are like, man, you waited a long time. I'm like, yes, because at some point when I was younger, it was like, Hey, it's Friday guys. You want to go to the Maldives? and you're like why would you change you know why would you change that yes because you have to be prepared for that not to be your reality um and or not just be a selfish person who just drags your kids all over the place all the time because that's the life that you want Mm -hmm. um sort of giving them a little bit of balance I I definitely grew up in like a household with the neighborhood and all that so um I appreciate that but also the freedom to say like okay maybe we don't want to go to traditional school I don't know Mm -hmm. just yeah and so having the flexibility to 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 decide that is also freeing for me because I don't really have to worry I I really I'm telling you I don't like strangers so you know the (laughs) dropping your baby off at the daycare daycare. we had had an issue in Florida recently where they left a two-year-old baby in daycare like cut the lights off locked her in there like oh my god yeah oh yeah that's terrifying (laughs) (laughs) yeah but the part that you said about like being able to have time to figure out who you want to be that is not terrifying and I love that you said that it's in fact beautiful um and I was speaking with one of my friends actually who's an entrepreneur he wants to own his own company someday and he said he was like being smart about it well like let me buy back my time and enjoy my life. And he said that. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And so that, that goes exactly along with what you're saying with, um, like financial fitness and being free and that like 
you can choose what to do with your everyday life. You don't have to be like a workhorse 24 seven, unless you want to be. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a beautiful note to end on. Um, in that, like, I, I really agree with that. And I think even just now starting out my professional career, it's like, I now have that lens of like, how can I be working towards the future that I want with the like current reality I have? And so it's, it's fun, like figuring it all out, but it's all a new world to me. Yes. And don't put too much pressure on yourself about it. Yeah. Day by day, you'll figure it out. It's not that deep. Not that deep. I love it. (laughs) I'll take that with me. (laughs) Out of this like hour, like 20 minute conversation or something. I'm like, not that deep. (laughs) Anything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, okay. This has been so phenomenal. I'm so, so, so happy. Um, we got to just chat and get to know each other better, LaVon. And I, I know like this conversation, um, I think it's really going to resonate with our listeners. So I'm super uh, excited to get it out there. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening and dedicating some of your time to listening to these conversations and being an external part of that conversation. I hope you take away with each episode, maybe some new perspectives and some ways to reflect about how what we talk about pertains to your life and your own interests and goals.